Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the peoples. For, all, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And then Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. For a few moments, if you would allow me, I would like to speak on this topic. Is the church asleep? Is the church asleep, and just this joke is not mine, it was stolen, but I, I love this joke. If you are a guest today, you are not allowed to judge this church and, and everything by a guest minister. Even though I'm connected by family, you have to come back and hear the pastor because I am just, you know, I'm a branch, I'm not the church. So again, that's not my joke, but I loved when I heard it, and it rings true today. But anyways... In 1901, a man by the name of Charles Parham was a professor at Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. And he asked his students to find biblical evidence of, of speaking in tongues in the Bible. And they pointed to Acts 2 and, and verses 2 and 4 and 10 through uh, 1045 through 46 and, and Acts 2.38 and so forth as validating the baptism of the Holy Spirit by speaking in other tongues. And when they discovered this evidence, they became intrigued and they, they began to see this truth. And so they began to pray and they, they earnestly and steadfastly wanted to see this truth. And it was documented that when they laid hands on each other, that they received the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in other tongues. And after a small revival in Acts 2, Parham was invited to, uh, to preach in Texas. And, you know, it never really gained traction, but he was able to start a Bible school there. And, and at that Bible school, he was a, a teacher and... Um, he was a teacher, and William Seymour was one of his students, but it was not a typical, you know, classroom setting. William Seymour was a black man, and so you imagine in the early 1900s that a black man was not able to sit in on the class. But William Seymour sat outside the class where Parham was teaching about Acts 2, and he fell in love with the doctrine. He fell in love with the truth. He had not received the Holy Ghost yet. But he fell in love with it. He just knew there was something special. And so one day, a, a, a pastor in California invited him out to, to preach for him and be an assistant. And he went out there and he, he preached what he had been taught from Parham. He taught Acts 2. He taught Pentecost. 
But the members of this church, they did not take fondly to this new doctrine. And it's not a new doctrine, but this new, uh, the revival of this doctrine. And they rejected him and kicked him out of the church. But there were a few saints in the church that did not feel comfortable with Seymour being homeless in L.A. And so they invited him in, and Seymour was just distraught. And he was... He didn't understand why they were so upset with him, and he began to pray, and he began to, to seek after God, and, so, and he asked the Lees to pray with them. And Seymour himself had not spoken in other tongues, but when they began to pray, the Lees spoke in other tongues. And word got out about the Lees speaking in other tongues. And so daily prayer meetings began in the Lees household until they were beyond capacity. This prayer meeting in the home of just a few saints led to a revival that would forever change the world. This became the revival known as the Azusa Street Revival. This was one of the most diverse and honestly eccentric revivals of all time. And it hosted over 20 different nationalities. And now this message, I know I just have a little bit of time, but it's going to be, it's, it's kind of different. It's not going to be the typical feel good. I don't have some deep theological content for you today, but I believe that, that God has given me these words for this church and for our movement. Because in 1906, there was no social media. There was no texting. There was no email. Telecommunication was not like it was today. In fact, it, there was not even planes available for public transport. The first flight took place for public transport in 1914, and that flight was only 23 minutes. And so how in the world did a small house prayer meeting turn into over 20 nationalities and black and white, Hispanic, Filipino in just a house. They didn't have a great building. It was just a small rundown house, and then when they finally got a building, it was just an old abandoned building. They didn't have great communication like we had today. They didn't have the ability to send a picture of, hey, look what's going on, or hey, look at this video, look how awesome this is. But what happened was the church members we're awake. You see, it was not the building, it wasn't the pastor alone, but it was someone saying they walked into the prayer meeting and when God came and met them, they said, oh my, look at this. And they had to go tell someone else because it was so great. And they just came from what? They came from depression. They came from hurt. But when they got in the presence of God, they said, hey, Thomas, you got to come with me. You got to see what's over here. They were awake and that's what God is asking us today. He's asking, are you awake? Is the church awake? Because in the world we live in, we must be awake. We live in a world where all the enemy wants to do is, is, is to destroy what God has ordained. And we know that we are destined to be victorious. But you do have the opportunity to choose. You have the opportunity to choose what side you're going to be on if you decide to be awake or to be asleep. In a recent study, 29% of churchgoers say they did not 
invite anyone to church in a year span. 9% said that they do not know if they did or not. So we can assume safely that it's probably more like 38% say they did not invite anyone. Another survey asked how many times they have personally invited an unchurched person to attend a service or some other program at your church. And 48% of church attendees responded with zero. That same study revealed that 21% of churchgoers say that outside of church worship services, they pray every day for people who are not professing Christians. 26% say they pray a few times a week. 20% say rarely. And then, seven, yeah, 21% say rarely. 71% of the unchurched say they are, are likely to accept a personal invitation from a family member, friend, or neighbor to attend church. 71% of unchurched say they are likely to accept a personal invitation from a family member, friend, or neighbor to attend church. Another study shows that 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. And then only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person a year. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. Seven out of ten unchurched people have never been invited to church. Now, I know I threw a lot of statistics out there, and, and I know people become weary of statistics because you can, you can try and find statistics for anything, but these numbers are constantly close and similar. And I preach statistics in this church before. If any of you guys know me, you know I like statistics. I, uh, I like what they bring to the table. And usually when I preach uh, statistics, I, I end and it's, you know, I say, well, these don't scare me, the depression and, and the suicide rates and, and everything that's going on in the world because I know the truth. And I know that if we can just bring that truth at those suicide rates and those homicide rates and those abortions and divorces and all the depression and anxiety, I know that that can be eliminated. But these statistics that talk about members of uh, us, talk about the church saying that we don't invite anybody, that becomes scary. Because all of a sudden that homicide and suicide and all of those statistics that I know that Jesus can heal and, and keep away, all of a sudden those become priority because we are not inviting anybody because the church is asleep. Now I know it's a bit awkward in here and I don't care, it's alright, I can have fun with that. But I ask you today... Are you asleep? When's the last time you asked your neighbor, your friend, your family to church? Now, I understand that some people are uncomfortable because what if they say no? Well, if you're a numbers person and 7 out of 10 will say yes, you have a 70% chance of getting them to say yes. And if they say no, then who cares? What do you lose? And let, here's the only way it is a negative towards you. If Thomas was to ask me to church, 
And I said, you know, Thomas, I would go, but I really don't like you. <laughs> or else I would go. That is the only way it can offend you. If you ask them to church and they say, you know what, I'm busy. I got all the excuses under the sun. You've heard them before. You don't lose out on anything. And the chances of them saying, no, I really don't like you, are slim to none. We always think of, and I get it, I'm a pessimistic thinker myself, so I understand your thought process there. But what if they say yes? What if you give them the avenue that they've been needing? Because here's the thing, if you go look at the other statistics that I talk about that don't scare me about depression, there's a good chance that they may be battling depression. There's maybe a good chance that their marriage is struggling. They may, there may be a good chance that they're dealing with alcohol and drug addictions. And you provide them the avenue to the king. You provide them with the ability to get in the presence of the only one who can save, the only one who can heal, but you're too busy sleeping. It's time as Christians that we decide that the church walls are not enough. And I understand we're doing, the, you guys are doing the parade after this, and that's great, and that, that's part of this, but it goes beyond today. Because it's so clear that if you invite your friend and neighbor, when you have that personal connection, you are so much, it's so much more likely that they will come with you. And I pray that, that 30, 40, 50, however many people come from this parade. And I hope it happens and believe that God can do that. But I know that if, if the church would begin to invite their friends and family, that all of a sudden things begin to change. You may say, well, I'm not qualified. Maybe you're not. But neither was William Seymour. He didn't even have what he was preaching about yet. He didn't have the Holy Ghost, yet he was traveling the United States to go to a place and preach about the Holy Ghost that he didn't have. But yet, if you go and study, William Seymour is deemed as the father of Pentecost. He is the leader of the Azusa Street Revival when he didn't even have it. But what he had was a love for Jesus, a love for others, and an open spirit that said, God, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I know you. And so if I will just give my best, I know that you can help me and we can see a change. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies into a land where God has told them that they were going to be victorious. And they meet someone there, and she tells the two spies in, in, Acts, in, in, Acts. in Joshua 2 verse 9, she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and there is terror upon all of us. And all the inhabitants, because we know what God has done. I don't know how it doesn't say 
who told them, but word began to spread. It wasn't, they weren't even members of the church, I'm sure. It was, it was, that was their enemies. Word began to spread about the goodness of God and what he had done for his people. The Red Sea, the different victories. How they utterly destroyed them. Verse 11 says, As soon as we heard these different things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and on earth beneath. I love this scripture here. It's such a cool, it's not just a cool story. It is such a cool story. But what's so cool to me is that God is giving us an example. When God says you are to be victorious, when God has given you a land, Crossroads has been given Mooresville. We're the only Pentecostal church in Mooresville. So God has placed us here for a reason. And so God is telling his church today that if, if you will just do what you are told and you will go into the land, you will be victorious. They are trembling because of what I have already done. I don't need you, but I've already done the work. But they just had to go into the land. God is telling Crossroads today that if you will just go into the land, that there is an enemy that is terrified of what God will do. There is an enemy that is shaking in its boots because he has no chance against God. Pay attention to what happens when they go into the city. Rahab protects these spies from her own government. She knows she would have been killed, but she protected them because she knew that God had already won. When God gives you a victory or gives you a promise or whatever you want to call it, Joshua chapter 2 shows us that any time of uncertainty, God will make that provision. These spies should have died. They should not have been able to return to Joshua and tell him, this news about the enemy trembling and, and the fear that's in the city and that we should strike now. They should have died. But when God destines a church for success and for revival and for victory, provision will always be made. The other part about Joshua 2 that I love is in verse 12 and 13. It says, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver us, deliver our lives from death. This is so cool to me that after Rahab goes against probably what she should have done. She, she's obedient to God. That It wasn't enough to just save the spies. It wasn't enough just to, to help with God's people. But what we learn here is when you will be obedient to what God is telling you to do is when you wake up and do as... The book of Matthew says, and go and make disciples. When you go, what we see here in Joshua 
when we connect those, is when you go, all of a sudden they say, hey, look what I've done. I know that you will, you will protect me, but it's not enough for just me. I have my family, and I have my friends, and I need them to be saved as well. How can you help me? Because they all went to the city. And when they went into the city, all of a sudden, people said, hey, we can get on God's team. Hey, we can get on God's team. You got to come with me. You got to come with me to this church because look what God can do in your life. And I know this is not your typical sermon or what you may have expected today, but I believe there were some people under the sound of my voice that had the enemy lying to them saying that they could not talk about the love of Jesus because they weren't perfect and because they didn't understand complete oneness yet or they didn't understand the Holy Ghost yet or they didn't understand baptism yet. If you only understand that Jesus loves you, That's a start for you to say, hey, Jesus loves you too. If you'll come to church with me, I'll show you. I can pray for you right now. If you'll just allow God, he can show you his love too. But the problem I've seen, not just in this church, but all churches, is that we get so comfortable with the person to the left or the right of us. We get so comfortable with how they look, and they look nice, and man, you know, Logan's got a tie on. I don't have a tie. I have to just have my polo on. Hey, that's great. I don't care. But we get so comfortable with the people that are next to us. And we get so comfortable in our space of, well, what if they say no? What if, that we are allowing the enemy to pick off God's people one by one. To pick them off one by one because we are too busy sleeping to understand that God has called us. Not everyone's a preacher. Not everyone's a teacher. But everyone is called to go and make a disciple. Everyone is called to say, hey, Jesus loves you. Will you come to church with me? You, don't, you can wear jeans and a t-shirt. You can, I just want you to come to church with me. But we're too busy sleeping. If you would stand with me as as the musicians begin to come, I ask you to reflect on your state. Are you asleep? Are you too busy, concerned about what others may think of you to talk about how great God is? And I just want you to think about the idea. Of what can God do if I have a love for Jesus, a love for people, and an open spirit? Because that's all Seymour had. If you want to take it a step further, Seymour was blind in one eye. So he had even less. But Seymour gave God his best. And gave him his availability. And all of a sudden, with God's great ability, began a multicultural and racial revival 
in a time where it wasn't really acceptable. But accounts say that it was almost as if the racial line was covered in the blood. And it all began with Seymour being obedient and being willing to say, hey, this is what I know right now. I don't have it all figured out, but this is what I know. And you need to know it too. And so if you would, as, as we close here, if you would just come to the front, if you're comfortable, and I'm going to have pastor come and pray that this church, that crossroads, be awakened in a way like never before. In a way that each day that the members of Crossroads, each day that we wake up, it's a time and an opportunity to say, hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, Jesus died for you. Hey, you can be delivered from that addiction. And it's all because of Jesus. So if you would, they're going to play softly and pastor's going to come. And if we can come to the front and bind together and say that I need to be awake, that I'm not going to sleep on Jesus' watch.